Tidy ho, neighbor. Uh, fun fact. Home Improvement with Tim the Toolman Taylor was a staple part of entertainment in my house growing up. What if I announced today that my podcast was making a huge pivot and I no longer want to explore DNA discoveries and how they're changing people's lives, but instead I want to explore family sitcoms of the 1980s and 90s? Don't worry. I'm not doing that. Uh, One reason I'm not doing that is because I saw like a total of two shows growing up. One was Home Improvement and the other was Star Trek The Next Generation. So it wouldn't be much of a good podcast. Or would it? Anyway, I'm Eve Sturgis. I don't want to pivot. I want to stay right here where I am in this podcast now and discuss DNA discoveries because uh, they are happening everywhere all the time to everyone you know. And if you're listening and thinking, nah, it hasn't happened to anyone I know. Well, I'm the person here to tell you that you are wrong about that. One goal when I started this podcast was to talk with people from every aspect of a DNA discovery. And I'm proud that my guest population has grown um, beyond the adult offspring who are surprised. Uh, And I still want more. Does that make sense? I want to talk to the moms. I want to talk to the dads. I want to talk to everybody that's affected. Uh... But understandably, people in particular positions in this dynamic feel uncomfortable and are worried about being judged. Uh, There's so much vulnerability for every human involved. It's all very complex. It's interesting to me that two people came to me at the same time and said, I have a DNA discovery, but it's a generation removed. So if you heard Krista's story a few weeks ago, you know that she accidentally uncovered her mom's true Welsh lineage. Um, And today I talk with Jill, who stumbled into this sort of tangled MPE story while trying to understand more about her father's side of the family. I was especially eager to talk with Jill because I was interested in her story, of course. But I also wanted to connect with her because she is a therapist in Maine. And it's so important for therapists to be educated and compassionate about DNA discoveries. We're still hearing horror stories of the things that therapists say to new NPEs, (laughs) and um, it's just terrible. So I just wanted to connect with Jill as a colleague. Um, We're both part of a website called M, letter M as in Mary, P-E, M-P-E, Counseling Collective. Uh, It's a growing directory of clinicians that are specifically familiar with the trauma of the DNA surprise. So if you're looking for a therapist, MPE Counseling Collective is a great place to start. That resource is also listed on my website in the resources section. You can always send me a message if you're confused and I will help you guide you in the right place. Anyway, so Jill reached out uh, and we talked about her experience and then we were having a wonderful time and we got wrapped up in that so much so that we forgot to talk about some other stuff we wanted to get into which is the exploration of inherited trauma. And that's important because it's Jill's focus as a therapist. And it's huge in our community. It's huge for our community of MPEs to understand. So then we got together a few weeks later and did it again. All of this to say, um, there's like a funny jump in our conversation. And I will make sure and come in and make the transition clear. But I just wanted you all to know what was happening before I rolled the tape. I hope Jill doesn't mind me saying this, but I feel like the second conversation we had uh, has the really important information and ideas for us to think about, even though, of course, the story of her dad and her family tree are important too, but I really want to make sure you all stick around for the second part. 
So do that, okay? Okay. Uh, but you're here today because we're going to talk about your NPE story, which is actually what you said in your email, an NG story, E story. Um, right, right. <laughs> uh, which is interesting because I just, I interviewed somebody last week that, um, that had, that was like also NPE adjacent that like, so that yeah. must be, that must be the thing. But I'm, I'm glad because I, because I think more people need to talk about how wide the ripples travel. Right. It really affects so many people. Right. Yeah. I was hesitant to even write in because I thought, well, my story doesn't really count, but, um, but it, it did affect me. And I, you know, I don't pretend to know what it was like to find out that you're, that a parent is not your parent. I realize that being a generation removed does make a difference, but um, it still really affected me. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about it. Um, tell, I, I read a little in your email, but, um, but, but tell the listeners. Okay. Where would you like me to start? <laughs> well, um, I guess this is about your dad, right? My dad. Okay. Yeah. And he, so I will, okay, I will ask just some, some biographical information. Where did he grow up? He grew up in Chicago. Chicago. Um, that's where my, my parents met and I was born there. And when I was two, my dad got a job in New York. And so I grew up in the suburbs of New York city. Um, and, you know, I guess the main thing, um, that I noticed growing up is that my mom had this very large extended family and every, you know, summer we'd pack up the station wagon and drive out to the Midwest and visit with aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents, you know, and everything else. And my dad's family was like a black hole. You know, I just like, um, he rarely talked about them. He, mm -hmm. we knew one of his cousins, um, who he and his wife were just some of our favorite people. They were still in Chicago, but they would come visit us periodically and they never had children of their own. And, and they, loved kids and they were just delightful to be around and we just loved them. But, you know, as a kid, I, I didn't really question it, but as I got older, I was like, wait a minute, you know, there's gotta be like a family out there. And, you know, the only thing he ever mentioned, I mean, I knew he was um, an only child. I knew that he was raised in a Jewish family that um, his grandfather was a rabbi who brought the family over from Russia. And I knew that J.D. Salinger was our cousin. Like, that's all I knew. Like, um, it, it was great in high school English class to just drop like, oh, cousin J.D., you know. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. That's that's some serious cred. Yeah, right. Not that we ever met the guy, of course. So, like, really just these little bits and pieces, you know. When I was a teenager, someone by accident um, said that he was adopted. I was like, what? You know, and... and um, my father, it was really clear that like, we were not to talk about it. Like, uh -huh. so right. I let it go. I put it away, you know, didn't really think about it. Um, and then um, I don't remember exactly what the timing is on all of this, but at some point, whether this was before or after my dad died, he died in 1996. Um, my mother told me that you know, the official story of my dad's birth is that he was adopted. This is why I call this the secret that was hiding in plain sight. Right. Um, yeah. But there, was, so but, but there was an unofficial story. And the unofficial story is apparently the one that everybody in the family believed. So um, my father's father was a professional musician in Chicago. He was um um, a jazz musician and a big band leader and, and apparently was pretty well known back then. And um, um, 
was also an alcoholic and he used to like abandon my father and his mother for like weeks at a time uh-huh. uh, and just be off doing whatever. And, um, um, definitely a heavy drinker. My father, my father hated him, you know, he was really mm-hmm. not a good guy. Um, when he came home, he would be mean and, you know, just not right. A good guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, so the, what was everybody knew about him is that he had fathered children around Chicago. I mean, like that he was off, you know, having affairs and right. all this stuff. And, you know, my mother said one of the most painful things experiences for my dad is um, he was at his father's funeral and someone who didn't know my dad came up and said, Oh, you must be one of the twins. And she said, my father looked like he just wanted to die in that moment. Right. Oh my um, gosh. Can you imagine? <laughs> like, no, I'm not one of the twins. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, what everybody believed is that my dad was one of these children that his father um, had had fathered out of wedlock Mm -hmm. and my father's mother couldn't have children. And so, um, so that he brought this baby home and, um, yeah. And that's the story that, I mean, that was really, it was the unofficial story, but it was the story that everyone believed to be true. According to Wow. I did not see that coming. Have you seen the movie heat? No, wait, maybe it's not the movie heat. That's not the movie I'm thinking of. Thief. There's a movie called Thief. No, I haven't seen that either. Okay, well, it's very old. And uh, that is sort of a twist at the very end is um, is um, um, it's all about con men. And one of them is going to get his a wife, a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so then recently last year, somebody made another movie as if what if he did? What if that really happened? And oh, it's interesting. Yeah. The perspective yeah. of the woman who wants to have children and can't. And then one day her, um, her con artist husband comes home with a baby <laughs> and just, she can you know, raise it. It just seemed like, like it fit. I mean, mm-hmm. he was, my grandfather was friends with Al Capone. Uh, at least the uh, family lore goes that he was Al Capone's favorite musician and played at his parties. I mean, he was not a great guy, but very cool. Very cool. Very cool. But yeah, I mean, I never met, met him. He was dead long before we were born, but um but um, so anyway, that's, you know, it's somewhere in my young adulthood, I heard that story and, you know, I could never talk to my father about it. He wasn't open to talking about it. My dad dies in 1996. And um, this is where the woo-woo part of the story comes in. <laughs> it's always a woo-woo part. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, a couple of years after he died, my dad and I were very close and um, I was lying in bed and it was like early in the morning and I was just woken up and I was in kind of that space between being asleep and awake. And I heard his voice like clear as day. And he just said two words and he said, no, me. And I remember thinking, what? Like at the time it was like, no, me, what does like that mean? Like, not, I love you. Not like, (laughs) it was just like, and, um, it it was, it really kind of knocked me for a loop. I was like, what does he mean? Um, so I just sat with it for a long time. And at some point I thought, well, I know nothing about his family. I know nothing about where he comes from. So that must be what he, you know, it it must be about that. Right. And I just sort of had that felt sense like that. He just wanted me to know that about him. And so, um, 
So this was now in the late 90s. And I set out, you know, I got online and tried to, you know, use whatever resources were out there at the time and try mm-hmm. to do research on the family. And, and I'm going with my last name, his last name, and absolutely nothing like, you know, just not finding a thing. And I got frustrated and, you know, and kind of gave up. And um, so then in the year, I wrote it down, what year was it? Um, 2000, um, J.D. Salinger's daughter published a memoir. And I heard about it and I thought, well, okay, she's in the family tree. Maybe she put some family history in there. So I went running out and bought the book. Totally. I would too. Yeah. But very disappointed to find out that she didn't. I mean, she talked about um, her grandparents, but didn't go any further back than that. Um, So I'm like, okay, there's a, you know, Hmm. a lost opportunity. I even tried writing to her through her publisher and she didn't respond and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I might as well Mm -hmm. use this one famous relative and see what what I can find out. Um, And um, lo and behold, the following year, she published a second edition of the book. And in the second edition, she included an afterword. And what the afterword was, was a letter that um, an elderly cousin had written to her um, who had grown up with her father, JD. And as part of this letter, he gave her this detailed family history. And I didn't find this out for year until years later. Like I didn't know the second edition of the book had come out. I didn't know there was this thing. Why there. would you? Why would and you? Yeah. I know. And I don't somehow I stumbled across it online. I don't remember how many years went by, but a number of years. And I really had kind of given up that I was going to learn anything about this family. And um, so I get this book and it is an absolute treasure trove of info, information. So First of all, I find out, you know, my last name is Copeland, that it was Kaplan, you know, um, mm-hmm. when they came to this country. So I'm looking for the wrong name. You know? Oh, yeah, that's a good hint. Yeah, that's a good hint. And so once I knew it was Kaplan and, you know, the um, my great grandfather and J.D. Salinger's great grandfather actually met back in Russia and what was, you know, what's now Lithuania. And they came to this country together. And it's like the families, you know were just like intertwined from, you know, years before. And, but anyway, there was just, there was information about my grandfather in there. There was like, you know, all kinds of stuff. It was just amazing. So, so I start like researching like a crazy person and I built this very, very um, detailed family tree. And, um, you know, I started working on how far back I can go. For some reason, my head always goes to like, how far back can I go on this family tree? Um, But then I started thinking, wait a minute, my grandfather was the youngest of seven children. Um, I must have cousins out there. Like, um, must. So I started doing research on Living were you, so, were you okay. using, sorry, were you using ancestry.com to build the tree? Yeah, I was. Okay. Yeah. All right. But not, yeah. but they, do, they didn't have, they weren't doing the DNA stuff yet. Okay. They weren't doing the DNA All yet. Right. So, I'm with um, you. Okay. So I started doing, you know, like I said, built this very detailed family tree. And um, so I started looking up, looking up cousins, you know, just using public records. And um, I contacted a couple of people who were in the, um, the Salinger branch turned out to be the most prolific branch. There were <laughs> most people there and, and um, um, you know, uh, had some lovely phone conversations with some, you know, some cousins on that side. They were delighted that I'd done this family tree. They said, you know, there was more there than they knew about and, and um, um, talked to this one elderly cousin who, um, um, had spent time in Chicago um, 
going to art school and she remembered my grandfather and grandmother and, and my oh. grandpa. I mean, it was really very cool. That must um, have felt fun. Yeah. It, it was great. And I, you know, I just, over this time, I was just building this connection to this family that I, that I never knew growing up and that I really didn't know anything about. And um, so um, then I, I contacted a cousin um, who lives in San Francisco and and he and I just like bonded immediately. Is <laughs> just the greatest guy, and um, um, he was like a lifelong um, major philanthropist and gay rights activist in San Francisco. And um, I am a gay person, and so we really, you know, we bonded over that. And it was 2013, and and gay marriage had just been made legal at the federal level. And um, I invited him to come to my wedding and he and his partner came to our wedding. And then six months later, he and his partner got married and we went to their wedding. And, oh, fun. Um, it just um, it just was a lovely, lovely association and relationship. And um, right around that same time, I went to a, um, there was a, the international, there's a big international Jewish genealogy conference every year. And it was being held in Boston that year. And I thought, okay, this is never going to be closer. And because uh, they have it all over the world. And I went to this conference and, you know, of course on my name badge, I said, I'm researching the Kaplans and, and um, you know, went to all these wonderful workshops about researching Jewish ancestors and all this stuff. And one of the workshops was being, um, or one of the speakers was the guy who started Family Tree DNA. And it was all brand new. And he was talking about, you know, using DNA and genealogy. And, and um, all of a sudden, I thought, you know, I could like confirm that my father was really his father's biological son, I could use DNA to do this. And now I had this male relative, because he was only talking about the Y DNA test at that point. Right, I think, right, I think right, that's right. what they came out with first. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I have brothers, I could get one of them to take it. And I could get my cousin to take it. And, um, you know, the, at first it came back that they weren't matched and I was horribly disappointed, but then I thought, you know what, this is a Y DNA test and we're like related through his mother, not his father. And, um, around that time they were coming out then with the autosomal test and he was very sweet. I said, would you mind taking one more DNA test? And mm -hmm. he's like, sure, I'll do that. And, um, <laughs> how nice. And, um, and this time I, you know, I took it and he took it and he called me up when his results came in and he said, you know, um, I don't know what it is you wanted to hear from this. He says, but we're, we're not a match. Oh. And I just burst into tears. It's still mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. that moment still gets to me. It was like, it just, um, everything came crashing in. I had spent all these years, you know, um, researching this family and kind of like internalizing this family and adopting this family as my own. And, and, um, and it was like, you know, like I know other people have explained, it's like, poof. Right. Well, you had gotten to know the family, but also it had given you context for who you were. Right. Exactly. All this, all this depth of, of your father that you'd never known was, was right. sort of building you. Right. And so to have exactly. that just like erased, Exactly. Yeah. Oof, um, oof. And, you know, and I was even thinking like, okay, dad, I did what you asked. I'm, I know you, you know, I'm like, <laughs> right. I'm you're honoring. Oh my God. I forgot about that part. You're honoring yeah. your father. You've done all yeah. this work. Oh, like, I'm wow. doing what you asked me to do. I've even gotten to know relatives. I've, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I know other people have sort of described this 
you know, this moment. And I've tried so hard to find a way to put it into words, but it just felt like my sense of reality just kind of shifted one foot to the left. Yep. And um, a great way to put it. And everything I, I walked around in like a fog for about three months. Um, you know, my family was just sort of like, what is going on with you? <laughs> it was like, um, I just was like, not all there. It just, um, it, it really threw me. And um, it took me quite a while before I decided I wanted to then start looking for who his parents were. Again, I don't remember how long, um, at least several years. I mean, it really was like, like I didn't want to do that again. I had, I had, I had spent years, you know, doing all this. And I thought, holy shit, I'm starting from scratch. Well, not only like you only, not only did you experience like identity heartbreak, but also just all that labor <laughs> to know like, oh, it's true. Yeah. I mean, I still, you know, this many years later, I still am very glad I did it because that is the family he grew up in. And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, that is the family that raised him and shaped him and all those things. And so I'm glad I know what I know. I'm really glad I've met the cousins that I've met. So anyway, DNA was, of course, getting bigger, you know, every year was these databases were growing and growing and growing. And um, so I, I, you know, did the ancestry test. I did 23andMe, and and over time, I, then I uploaded my data to the other ones. You know, I was already on Family Tree DNA, and then I put it on my heritage and all this stuff, and just started looking for matches. And, um, you know, like a lot of people, I had like you know a thousand cousins out there, and or at least for Jewish people, I don't know if it's true for other people, <laughs> but, um, and nobody very close at all. Then, you know, one day. In the summer of 2017, I had to write these dates down because it's like all a blur in my head. Um, a second cousin popped up. Aha. So I immediately messaged her. This was on Ancestry. And, and she wrote back and she was very nice. And she sent me some information about, about her family. Um, you know, there was a Chicago connection. Um, both sides of her family came from Chicago. And, and But, you know, she sent me a few pictures. But then, you know, it was sort of like, okay, where do we, you know, like, we're right from. now, what, what's the story? And, yeah. And then, um, and then she kind of disappeared. Um, and um, I found out later, she was having some personal issues, but I'm just sort of like, ah, where did you go? You know, you were, mm -hmm. you were going to help me with this. Um, then like nine months later, on 23andMe, I got another second cousin match. And I recognized his last name from the family tree she had given me. So I got, okay. And it turned out that they're brother and sister. Um, and he called me up and I mean, I called him up and he was very sweet, called me right back. And he said, listen, I'm not really great at family history, but you got to talk to my dad. You know, he's the family historian and, and he would love to talk to you. And here's the next woo woo moment. Okay. Um, I have done, um, I mean, as you know, I'm a therapist and mm -hmm. I have done a lot of work in the adoption community. Um, and I was at a conference, um, at the time in Santa Fe, um, for the American adoption Congress. And, um, I was literally sitting in a workshop when his call came in. And so I sent it to voicemail. Um, and this workshop was going on a little bit and I saw him flipping through the handouts and she had included an index of, um, you know, recommended reading and, you know, resources and stuff like that. And I'm just flipping through and like, this is not a common name. It's a, it's a Jew, uh, Jewish Polish name. It turns out not common at all. I had never heard it before. I'm looking down the list of like reading materials and there's that name. 
And I was like, what? Like, huh. and it's, it's like, the book is like considered one of the seminal books on adoption, right? It's like, it'd been written a while ago. And, and this is the same name as your, the cousin that called or yeah, okay. Male cousin that, yeah. That, that left a message. So his yeah. voice, the voicemail with the same last name <laughs> is the on your phone name. and you're reading the name and I'm reading the, the name. pamphlet, right? Sitting wow. there. Yeah. So it turns out, unfortunately he, um, he died too young of cancer, but he was my first cousin. Um, who wrote this book on adoption? It was like he was a psychiatrist, and um, oh wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that is really interesting. So anyway, he calls his dad, and his dad was like delighted to talk to me, and and um, it was just amazing to me because, like a lot of people, I felt like, are they going to want to talk to me, and am I intruding in their lives, and blah blah blah. And um, he tells me this story that was just mind blowing. He said um, his father had told him that his grandfather came over from Poland in 1912. And like a lot of immigrant families wanted to get settled and get a job and, you know, be ready to support his family. And he left um, a wife and five children back in Poland and they weren't able to come over until 1920. And I, I'm guessing that's because of the war and everything else. And at any rate, this cousin's father said to him that he fell in love with a woman in Chicago during this time. This cousin had always wondered if there were any children from that union. He said he'd always wondered, like, do I have other cousins out there who I don't know? He'd even tried to look for them a little bit, but he's not real computer savvy. And he said he kind of gave up sort of quickly. And then I call and he's like, oh my God, you know, like um, maybe it's you guys, you know, you and your mm -hmm, brother. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, he asked a first cousin of his to do a test. And because he said, I'm not sure if you're on my father's side or my mother's side. So she did a test and again, this also threw a whole monkey wrench into it because she came back as a match, but it was way, she should have been also like a half first cousin, but we, the Centimorgans, which I was learning, you know, more about this stuff right. than I ever wanted to know. <laughs> just, um, <laughs> you scramble to process numbers. Uh-huh. I know. I was going to say, I can talk Centimorgans with the best of them now, but, um, <laughs> but she came back with like, uh, it was a way low, lower match. Than it should have been. And so it just like sent me into this tizzy. Like, I, I'm like, well, what does that mean? I mean, that right. show, like the connections on the father's side, but could it, you know, because there's endogamy to think about with, with Jewish populations. And I'm, I really, my head just started spinning and I didn't, I didn't want to like declare this to be so if it wasn't so, you know what I mean? Right. It, right. Like, um, so, um, you know, I kind of lost touch with this cousin. I talked to her a few times. She was absolutely delightful. And one of the things I'll always regret is that between the time I spoke to her and the time I was able to confirm the match, she died. Mm -hmm. um, very sad. But, um, um, you know, like I, how much time went by? Um, probably a year and a half. You know, I had consulted with a couple of people who know a little more about this DNA stuff than I do. And they said, yeah, that's confusing. I did decide to get a search angel involved and because I also was still continuing to look and see if I could figure out who my grandmother was. Right. Um, but the first thing I asked the search angel to do is I said, look at this DNA, these matches, like, is this enough to say this guy was my grandfather? And without skipping a beat, he said, well, yeah, of course. Right. And so I just want to catch everybody up in case, because I forgot or sort of in that minute by, by confirming that it wasn't, the year uh, that the, the the Salinger family was not 
yeah. your dad's family they already knew that your that the that the woman who raised him was not his mother so now you don't know yeah. either parent either i forgot i would sort of forgotten that so right now when you said i don't know if i'm related to you on your mother or your father's side i was kind of like yeah. wait what yes yeah. okay i'm with you again so it's a, so the double mystery yeah he really okay. was like a full adoptee um adoptee so, okay um but no birth certificate he never had a birth certificate um Oh, an important part of the story for my dad, which just makes me feel such grief for him, because I think as I've gotten older, I've understood how very painful this is, is his parents never told him he was adopted. Um, and it wasn't until he was like 30 years old and he was enlisting in the army. And he went to his mother and said, I need my birth certificate. And she said, we don't have one. And like, that's when she told him he was adopted. And um, I just can only imagine how painful that must have been. And, you know, my dad really struggled with depression during his life. And um, um, it just, that whole scene must have just been awful. Anyway, so yeah, the search angel said to me, um, yeah, he goes, centimorgans are all over the map. You know, you can't like, you know, they give you ranges, but you know, that's what they are as ranges. And sometimes you share more DNA with one person than another. And it, you know, like you never quite know how it's going to get passed on. And um, and right around that same time, other cousins started popping up. Um, like another half first cousin showed up on Ancestry and, and one of her sons and, oh, someone else who, oh, the, the daughter of the cousin who wrote the book on adoption showed up and, and like, so they just started popping, you know, like, right, right. And all of a sudden <laughs> it was just like, okay, I got it. Like this, like. <laughs> I'm imagining these, I'm imagining like flowers popping up yeah, in, an right. animation, in some kind of animation thing or like, yeah, right. yeah, like pop, 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 pop. Yeah, cool. Okay. So it was, um, it was in the fall of um, 2019 and I called up my cousin and um, he's in Southern California too. I, I keep having relatives show up in California <laughs> as far away <laughs> as they can get from me. It's yeah, like, that does, it really, that really yeah, is. What was wrong like with the New England? But anyway, um, <laughs> I called him up and I mean, he was so excited. I mean, it was just the most wonderful thing. Um, and we started sharing family photos and stories and blah, blah, blah. And I was planning to be in San Diego for a conference in April of 2020. So I made plans to go out early and spend time with him and meet him and his wife. And you know what happened to that I, trip. Oh, I know. And, as um, soon as she said April 2020, my whole body went, oh. I know. And I was <laughs> okay. like so excited to meet him and everything else. And um, so, you know, we spent the next year and four months just doing Zoom calls. He introduced me to all sorts of people in the family. And I just, I have to say, I'm very, very blessed in this way because they've all been amazing. And these are uh, on your dad's side? I mean, all on my dad's. Yeah. All right. I know it's your dad's side. Your dad's dad's side? My dad's dad's side. Okay. Yes. That's <laughs> Sorry. I went right along with it. Did you notice? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, like, I know. Yeah. You're, of course, the dad is the center of this. Okay. Got yeah. it. So this is confirmed, confirmed of who his father was. Yes. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So just meeting numerous cousins and having Zoom calls and all this stuff. I mean, I think one of the most touching things that happened is um, this cousin in LA or just south of LA, um, his son, who was the first one I you know, spoke to, who said, oh, you got to talk to my dad. Um, like about a month after, you know, I confirmed this all, um, he and his wife invited me to their son's bar mitzvah. I mean, oh, I was just yeah. like, 
oh my God, like, could I be more welcomed into this family? You know, and it was, that would have been in January, 2020. And it was kind of short notice and I I didn't go, which I totally kicked myself for later, but um, what are you going to (laughs) do? How could you know? How could you know what was coming? Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, just this past August, just a few months ago, um, I did come out to Southern California and I was able to meet him and his wife. And there's um, another second cousin who lives out in that area and met him too. And, um, and it, it was just wonderful. I mean, we just feel like family. I mean, it's, um, it, he's the first biological relative of my father's that I ever met. Wow, that is so and, cool. Um, it mm-hmm. felt so cool. And um you know, we both acknowledged our sadness that, you know, my dad and his dad and all the, he would have, my dad would have had six siblings and, um, and he grew up as an only child with nobody, you know, and, and, wow. you know, my mother has, my mother's still alive, 94. And, um, she said, she felt it too. She said, he felt so alone in the world. You oh. know, and it was, I, you know, I felt all this retrospective grief, you know, mm-hmm. um, for all that he lost, you know, um, and all that I lost too, you know, I mean, having grown up, not knowing it's, it's this big extended family and, and, um, um, but yeah, I feel it for my dad. I hope somehow he knows. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now I really know him, but I don't, yeah, I still haven't found his mother. She's proving to be very elusive. Okay. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's been a wonderful journey. It's, um, um, very emotional, um, very um, disorganizing at times, you know, like, um, uh-huh. like a lot of people, I found that I, I could dive into it for a while, and then I'd have to back off and like, you know, not do it for weeks or months at a time. And, um, you know, because it just felt so overwhelming. Um, but, um, you know, one, one other thing I just wanted to mention that um, I don't, remember hearing on your podcast. Um, I, I binged your podcast when I found it a few months ago. <laughs> and um, is when you're gay, um, it adds another wrinkle to all of totally. this. There's this like, boy, this was a big part of it for me. And a lot of fear of reaching out to people. It's like, not only are they going to accept me because I'm this like interloper into their family, but is that going to be an issue? You know, absolutely. And, and then when do you tell them? And how you know, you tell them right up front, or do you wait, or is it like you know? And it was like, um, um, you know, and it's turned out to be a non-issue in this family, which is which is lovely. But I was terrified. Like, what if I find them, and and they're like profoundly homophobic and like want nothing to do with me? That's so real. I mean, yeah. it's uh, like. I think you correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's sort of like you're back in a closet that you didn't. Well, yeah. Every time you meet somebody new, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, you know, and I started to think about, Oh my God, what about like a transgendered individual who are, you know, even more, you know, um, misunderstood and, and misaligned and everything else. And what must it be like for, someone in that community to have to, you know, the courage it would take to reach out, you know, and all of that. So I guess I just wanted to throw that out there as part of the puzzle that, you know, um, I mean, we all have different things, but, um, but boy, that was a hard one too. Yeah. Well, I think that there's, there's a number of like intersectional issues Mm -hmm. uh, with, within the, within our community that are, that are heightened, heightened by our, whatever our um mpe situation is um that we don't 
we we don't focus on yet. We haven't much. We haven't mm-hmm. much, and it's where um, it need it needs to be. So no, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, everybody yeah. everybody has their own um, things that they're bringing in. Um, but yeah. but um, there's really something to be said about about the real fears of the real oh totally um, what totally. people accept or don't accept is a real you know uh secret child notwithstanding there might be a whole lot of other things that are um, a lot of other things yeah, yeah exactly i mean different race different ethnicity different religion you know i mean i wasn't raised jewish um my mm-hmm. dad had rejected all of that and my mom was a christian so we were raised that way so i you know uh, I don't know a lot about the Jewish traditions I'm, I'm learning, but, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but, you know, so I don't, I don't have that shared background with them. And, um, um, but anyway, they've been lovely and accepting and it's, it's, you know, it couldn't have been a better experience except they all live too far away, but, um, <laughs> but right. Um, right. Um, I'm about to get in touch with one cousin. She's a next generation down who lives in uh, Maryland. I'm like, yay, an East Coaster. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Look, I can drive to you right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh so I think so I just want to go back to the the part where you're sitting in the sitting in the at the conference and you re, and the last name is the same last name and it turns out it's your first cousin. So so a first cousin on your dad's side Mm-hmm. There's no confirmation or, or, um, what's the opposite of confirmation? There's no, <laughs> you know, so what I'm trying to say is he decided to focus on adoption in his life. Isn't that interesting? I and know. He, and he, and he may or may not have ever known that his, his parents had an adopt, had sibling that was given away. Right. Right. I just think that's so interesting that, that he may have sensed something on some some cellular level or unconscious level um and that you also are focused on adoption it's like you both um you you sort of like fell on the both sides of this like tree and and sensed something or felt a calling towards something uh that that's really interesting to me yeah i've thought about that same thing you know that um um you know, there's no way to know if he, you know, had any awareness of that. Um, and even if he knew the same story that my other cousin did, he wouldn't have necessarily known there was a child that had mm-hmm. been given up. Um, but yeah, I find it very interesting because yeah, I didn't know my dad was adopted when I sort of became interested in this kind of work. And, and, um, so yeah, it's really, um, I wondered the same thing. I wish I could meet him. Yeah. I just can't help but think there's something there. Um, mm. That's so interesting. And so now you work um, as a therapist in Maine. Uh-huh. You're still working. Um, private practice. Private practice. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm really hoping um, to to work with the NPE community. I've, you know, I've got my name on the list of uh, <laughs> NPE therapists and mm-hmm. um, just recently got my first NPE client. It was delightful. And um, yeah, I would really, um, I feel so drawn to this work mm-hmm. now and, mm-hmm. um, and would really love to do it. So I'm, um, I already am licensed in Maine and um, I'm licensed to do telehealth in Florida and I'm working on getting licensed in, in a few other states as well. And um so that I can do more of this. Oh, good. Okay, great. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how would they reach out? Do you have a um, a website or an email? What's best? 
Yeah, um, I don't have a website. I'm That's okay. Should, That's okay. I don't. <laughs> no, you don't. I it's, it's not a should. It's not a should. <laughs> well, I know. I'm. I just feel old sometimes that I don't have all this stuff. But um, um, yeah, my email address is the email address that you know you and I have been um, corresponding through. So I can okay. say it right now for people if you. you yeah, say it. Know. Say it now, and then I'll just make sure and put it up when um, I put up our your episode. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bit of an awkward one, but it's, um, J the initial J Copeland, C O P E L A N D at N E as in Northeast dot T W C B C, which is time Warner cable business class. Wow. 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 Okay. <laughs> I know it's really awkward. I keep wanting to change it, but that's so hard. Um, so dot com. So N E dot dot com. So that's my email. And yeah. And, well, and the point is people can get a hold of you and, um, yeah. even if all of that was too awkward and you, people can always contact me and then I can help, help connect yeah. if, if need be, but, um, but good. No, I think, um, I think that the NPE community is, uh, really lucky to have you. Well, I think, the, you. I think the more, the more people that, um, can, can bring in real experiences of what happened in their families or can really bring in the empathy that only comes from, ex you know, identity exploration on a personal level. Well, it pains me to hear so many stories of, of therapists saying just the wrong things, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and I know they're, I know they're well-meaning and all that, but, um, you know, it's funny, um, years ago I went to a, um, sort of a naturopathic doctor, um, and regarding some issues I was having and, um, she does this very, very, you know, complete sort of whole person kind of intake and, and at the time I was feeling very emotional about this search. I, I think I had found out that my dad was adopted and, you know, and all this stuff. And I, I told her about this, you know, hearing my dad say, know me. And she looked at me and she said, well, you know, you could take that in just a more spiritual sense and not, you know, not really like have to go down this path. And I never went back to her. Yeah. I mean, it was just <laughs> like, it was like, you know what? Screw you. I like, <laughs> You know, I'm telling you that this is the meaning it, it has for me. And, and, you know, um, yeah, so. yep. Yep. I had, yeah, I had someone say again, someone it meant, meant well. And, and somebody I, I still respect, but said, um, it's only, a, it's only, this is only a big deal if you make it a big deal or something. I don't even, I don't even know if he, he might say that that's not what he said, but it was either it's only a big deal if you make it a big deal or it's uh -huh. it's only a thing if you make it something like that and i was yeah or the famous but you're still the same person you yeah. Know? yeah 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 and, uh -oh. and i was like ooh, uh mm. hmm so yeah i think we m most or many people have that have 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 at least one experience with exactly. the, wrong, the wrong thing yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for getting on the phone oh, with me today. Um, it's so fun. It was great to meet yeah, you. This is great. Now I have a new, now my new goal is to get out to Maine. Good. That's my like new, I said, I, summer and fall. You don't want to come any other time. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> gives me plenty of time for planning. <laughs> we'll come out anytime soon. Hey, it's me. It's Eve. Hi. I'm just jumping in here to talk over a time lapse of a few weeks between Jill and I's two conversations. And then we got back on the phone and we talked about this really important stuff. So listen up. So adoption has just been sort of a part of my life for a long time. I have adopted nieces and, and uh, my sister-in-law was adopted. And then I found out my father was adopted and, you know, just a, um, working with the adoption community has just been an interest of mine for a long time. So, um, 
I started thinking about generational trauma, um, going to that conference and just listening to people talk about um, finding birth families and finding that they were still, they were carrying things <laughs> from that family, a family they didn't even grow up with, but, you know, all of a sudden discovered like, oh, that's what that's about, you know? And um, so I just started doing a lot of research on it. And um, um, it's just a fascinating topic. And I think for, for NPEs, adoptees, donor-conceived people, the, the unfortunate double whammy is that um, you can get, you can sort of receive generational trauma from the family you were raised in, because um, that happens more in kind of psychological, emotional ways. And you can inherit generational trauma from your biological family. So um, there is a bit of a double whammy there. And um, that might make more sense if I sort of talk about the what we think anyway are the mechanisms of transmission. Of yes, absolutely. Through Please the generations. Mm -hmm. So there's this relatively new field called epigenetics. Um, the person who um, whose name is most commonly associated with that is Rachel Yehuda. Um, and she has done really fascinating research um, looking at, um, for example, looking at the children and grandchildren of Holocaust survivors and discovering um, that the incidence of PTSD, that they have a 30% higher risk of, of having PTSD than, than the general population. Um, now they didn't experience that trauma. So then it's like, you know, what's going on there? And she, what she's discovered is um, that trauma doesn't actually change our DNA, but it changes the way genes are, are expressed and the way they're passed down. So there may be some um, genes that become silenced and other ones that become sort of over expressed. And, um, and that's one of the ways that the effects of trauma can be passed down through the generations. Um, I'm not a scientist, so I can't explain any more detail than that. It's okay. <laughs> That's about the level I understand it at. But, um, but um, you know, she points out a couple of very interesting um, facts too about um, what we inherit inherit biologically. Um, I had, didn't know this before. Baby girls are actually born with all of the eggs they will ever have mm -hmm. in their ovaries. So that means like the egg that became me actually lived for a period of time inside my grandmother. Um, that makes it very clear how trauma can mm -hmm. be. How, right, how close, closely connected the, the, right. cell, the, the cells and, are. And, right? right, and the precursor cells for sperm also um, are present um, for for boys when they're in utero. So um, so again, that you know the trauma is is happening to all of us mm -hmm. <laughs> at the same time. Um, so that's kind of a very broad overview of epigenetics, but that's one way that trauma gets passed down. Um, there's also um, kind of psychological ways that, that trauma is expressed through generations. Um, if you think of a, um, a parent, say, who experienced really significant childhood trauma of their own, say had some attachment 
disruptions. Um, you know, their parents never really, they never formed like a solid, stable attachment with that child. When that child grows up, they may not have the wherewithal just because they never experienced it. They may not be able to form a healthy attachment with their own child. Um, or they may just repeat some of the things that happened to them because, you know, again, that's not saying everybody does that, but. Um, no, but I think that that's kind of the model that people are basically familiar with, which is yeah. kind of, of just like the cycle repeats that it, however, mm -hmm. whatever happened to you or the relationships that were modeled for you or what you, um, you then create for yourself in your own life. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, you see these patterns in family, you know, patterns of, um, communication, patterns of parenting, you know, um, patterns of relationships that um, that do go from generation to generation. You know, it's, um, I once worked with a family where um, they had a history of cutoffs in relationships in this family that would go on for decades. Oh, really? <laughs> like yeah. once, once you're out, you're out? You're out. Yeah. Um, um, I have another client who has kind of a fascinating story too. I mean, this could be epigenetics as well as psychological and mm -hmm, that um, mm -hmm. when her mother was a child, um, her mother and her mother's brother were trapped in um, their house as it burned down. They, this was a very old house that had a dumbwaiter in it. Oh my God. And these two little kids hid in the dumbwaiter while the house burned down around them. And, the, and I forgot to say the fire had been started by lightning. Mm. Um, so then she obviously survived. She grew up, gave birth to my client. Um, never emphasized that story. Never, you know, any of that. Um, my client is, has panic attacks when there's thunder and lightning. I mean, she cannot deal with it. Um, hmm. she's, she's doing better now. But before, it was debilitating um, when there was thunder and lightning. So you hear stories like that, and it's like, okay, something's going on here. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I think that, that thankfully there's science scientists and, and psych psychologists working on, on the, those things, but there are so many of those. I, I keep saying things, the word things, but there are so many examples like that, that, yeah. that sort of fall into this, um, little bit of like an ambiguous space or like an abstract space of understanding. Um, but it gets to be, it gets to places where it just feels undeniable that there's a connection. Yeah. Kind of just, um, yeah. And then, I mean, the third, um, the third method of transmission is energetically or spiritually or whatever you want to call it. There does just seem to be a way that um, these experiences um, get passed down um, yeah. um, that we carry our ancestors experiences in very deep ways. And um, um that can't really be explained through <laughs> through science or what we know mm -hmm. about psychology or whatever, that they seem to somehow be embedded in us. And I think, like you said, all of us can think of examples of that. Mm -hmm. And do you think, um, do you think that, so I just was thinking, okay, so the people that don't, that might, the skeptic, I guess, would, would, would see that and say like, no, the lightning story of your client mm -hmm. and say, don't be, <laughs> I'm imagining them as a whole character. Don't be, yeah, right, don't, right. be don't be ridiculous, Jill. Mm -hmm. um, don't be ridiculous. That's just a coincidence. And therefore, why does it matter if we know if why does it matter if we know where our trauma comes from? 
why does it matter for her to understand that her mother was in a lightning storm? Because for her, that was a pathway for healing. You know, when it was just this thing that happened that she couldn't explain, you know, it just happened and it felt like it took her over and was bigger than her and she had no framework for understanding it. Um, that framework then helped her to heal it. And I think that can be true for a lot of generational trauma. Um, you know, one of the things I've explored in my own life is um, I've always known like loss anybody's loss. I mean, it could be a loss in a Hallmark movie. Um, I get hit really hard. It's like uh, from the time I was a kid, I felt like I just had this wellspring of grief inside of me that I never understood. And um, I'm like, how can I be getting this upset? I don't know these people. I don't, you know, um, you know, a friend's dog died and I, you know, I'd be crying for days, you know, and things like that. You know, as I've come to understand my mother's history and now my um, father's biological family, you know, I know that my biological grandfather and his ancestors lived in Eastern Russia during the time when there were pogroms and, and you know, Jewish men were being forcibly conscripted into the Russian army and put on the front line. I know that all that stuff was going on. And my mother's family, without going into a lot of detail, there was just tremendous tragedies, um, you know, just over and over and over. And I remember when I was in grad school and my family therapy um, professor had us draw out our genograms and, and <laughs> a fancy way of saying a family tree. And he was looking over my shoulder at my mother's family tree and he goes, whoa, like mm -hmm. that. And he goes, so much loss. And... Um, you know, and here I am as this kid, like thinking, why do I feel this, you know? And so it's been helpful to me to kind of understand and process that, that kind of wellspring of grief that I've always felt to understand um, that some of it, at mm -hmm. least, you know, I think has been something that was passed down to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't have enough loss in my childhood to explain that. There was no <laughs> way, you know, <laughs> there was just no way. Mm -hmm. Right. Is that an appropriate trigger warning or trigger mm -hmm. that makes sense? Well, mm -hmm. I, I think that what, what I relate to and what, where I think it really, really becomes important within the MPE discussion um, and adoptee discussion, I mean, you know, it, mm -hmm. whether they, whether they know it or not, um, when they, whenever they discover they're adopted, um, is that what it makes me think about when you said, you know, it puts it into a context, w which offers a path to healing is that we're so stuck on, um, as a society or a culture or people, you know, whatever you want to say, when I say we, um, of like, if you, if you are scared of thunder and lightning, there has to be a reason. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the normal formula right. and if you're not if you don't fit into that formula then that means you're abnormal mm -hmm. and to be abnormal is a whole litany and layers of shame and and right you know it means you're weird i mean all the words that that are abnormal um so so and then you know to, to carry it on to your understanding of loss it's like 
we don't live in a in a culture or a time or a world where someone can just be extremely sad by all loss. <laughs> like it's yeah. weird if you're like that. That's <laughs> right. a that's a weird yeah. thing. So to right. understand where it comes from. So so for so for everybody that doesn't actually know their biological line, it would get it might give them a context and a place to understand all these pieces of them that are not just um the sort of like data like where they come from and what color eyes they have and right well, okay they then now they found out that they're italian instead of um russian like those things are important but what what experiences have they been taking and what and how can they put yeah. their own their own identity mm-hmm. into, into a context that that takes the um or puts the acceptance into whatever they thought was abnormal, which so often triggers shame. Yeah. The other place where I think this um, concept is highly relevant is when um, entire populations of people have been traumatized, Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. um, Holocaust survivors, like Mm -hmm. African-Americans, like Native Americans. Um, You know, I'm sure I could think of a dozen other examples. You know, another story that really blew my mind is a a friend of mine from high school actually recently shared this with me, um, that um, his mother was a teenager um, uh, in, I forget which country, um, when the Holocaust um, was happening, and she was part of the kinder transport, so she was um, shipped off to England and Mm -hmm. stayed with the family there. and never saw her, the rest of her family again. And so she did not personally experience um, concentration camps, but um, when she was older and and had some dementia, um, she needed to go to the hospital. She was in the middle of a medical emergency and they took her to the hospital and it took several people to get her out of the car and carry her in because she was screaming, you know, you're not taking me to the gas mm. chambers. You're not taking me to the gas chambers. I mean, Oh my God. You know, um, wow. that wasn't a personal experience of hers. Um, right. but, um, Oh, I just can't even imagine what that must've been like, but that story really, um, again, sort of made the point. <laughs> Absolutely of what you carry because it's, and like so much about, about the MPE um, experiences is that like everything is connected, you know? And Mm -hmm. so it's like, no, she didn't experience the gas strangers personally, but she 100% did in as much as she did not, she did. She did. Um, Yeah. And, you know, we've, especially like, I've never even thought about the kinder transport as an especially traumatizing experience in and of itself. We think we love We love, well, I think of the line, the witch in the wardrobe always, um, mm-hmm. like the London children getting sent out right. and, and, um, you know, but, oh my God, to, to be sent away and never see your family ever again. And then, and, and to be mm-hmm. re- learning of their traumas secondhand the rest of your life. And mm-hmm. I just can't, you know, yeah, <laughs> I can't, I can't, I just cannot imagine. I literally mm-hmm. like my brain just stops just like. Yeah, we the gears just stop turning. We go, nope, uh-huh. that's, that's a place we can't go. Um, yeah, that's yeah. So that's so important. So that's um, that's where you sort of like lean your your focus and study into as a therapist uh-huh. within the adoptee and the MPE community. Um, yeah, absolutely. And um, 
you know, if you'd like, um, I've collected um, a whole bunch of resources if people are interested in exploring it more, and I'd be happy to send it to you. Um, that was my next question. Of course <laughs> was like, it was. If, if people are more interested in this, what should they do? Yeah, I mean, I think a good place to start is this book called It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wolin, W-O-L-Y-N-N. He gives just a good, you know, kind of overview of what generational trauma is and also um, has some um, exercises in there for, um, you know, uncovering it and, and ways to heal it. And, you know, I certainly encourage people to work with a therapist if it feels overwhelming in any way, but um, I think it's a good place to start. And there's a ton of books about, also about specific populations, you know, about um, descendants of African slaves and Native American populations and and um, all those kinds of things. So, um I'd be happy to send you a list. Yeah, that would be great. And then I'll put it all I'll put it all together with the um with the episode. Okay. Um, and then I'll also put all the anything you ref, um recommend, I'll also go ahead and put it on my website um for I have a section of MPE resources. So I'll keep it on there too and make sure. Yeah, I have it doesn't start with you. And when you said it, that reminded me that I have it and my books are over there, which is why I'm looking in that direction. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking at my stack and wondering where it is. Hmm, interesting. Okay. I've got to pull that out again. Um, great. Well, thank you so much again for, uh, this is so interesting. I mean, I, we know, I know epigenetics about as much as what you just described, mm -hmm. but, but, I'm, <laughs> but I'm a huge believer in it and want to talk about it more and talk about it all the time with my clients and try and get them to believe me and, um, <laughs> um, <laughs> believe about themselves and, um, so I, I love talking about this stuff. I, um, yeah, well, I think it just adds even more weight to um, why it's so important for us to know where we come from. Right. You know, it's just so important and it's so critical to understanding ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just need it. We just can't, we just can't force it any other way. People have been trying for so long. <laughs> For so long, <laughs> for yes. so long to 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 make this to mm -hmm. make this not true. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And um, I'm glad people like Rachel Yehuda came along and said because the people who can perhaps deny the psychological and the spiritual transmission, there's you know this is hard science, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know it changes our gene expression. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, just amazing, totally amazing. Um, yeah. Can you believe it? I just, okay. Anyway, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's wild. Our, our bodies are wild. Um, yes, they are. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Well, again, thank you again. Thank you again so much to Jill Copeland for sharing her story and also maybe more importantly for working as a therapist to help this community. Um, we all know this huge population is growing every time there is a holiday sale at 23andMe, right? So um, I think we can all agree it's fascinating that and maybe mm, like synchronistic that this growing field of epigenetics is becoming more uh, talked about right at the same time that DNA tests are totally blowing families and their histories wide open. So as I have mentioned before, um, I record these episodes on a different day than they are posted. And sometimes it is weeks and or days and maybe months away from the recording 
to when you hear it uh, and things are happening. It is so hard for me to figure out how to get all this like exciting information and news to tell you or interesting information, um, whatever it is, to get it to you in a timely fashion. It is so hard to have things I want to say, but know that you will be weeks before you say them if I keep it for the podcast. So I've been trying to figure out a solution and here's what I think. Make sure you're following my socials at Everything's Relative Podcast. I have an Instagram and a Facebook. Uh, now, my newest thing, though, is I have a newsletter system. I will send notes straight to your inbox, and I can promise you 100% wholeheartedly it will not be often, and it will not be regular. I am too tired, and I am too busy to add anything else like that to my plate. However, sometimes there are things that I just couldn't include in an episode, or I can't wait to tell you, so I just got to get the news out, and that's what the newsletter will be for. Sign up for it on my website. And have your fingers on the pulse of everything that's happening at Everything's Relative. Do you have a story to share? A question about the MPE community? Or a complaint about who I am as a person? Contact me. My email is eve at everythingsrelativepodcast.com. Let's connect. Feel like you want to be a part of this listener-supported project? Head over to Patreon. Pledge a small amount to keep me up and running. And no matter what, please come back next week to hear another episode Thanks, as always, for being here and listening. I'm Eve Sturgis. This is Everything's Relative. Keep telling your truth. Keep asking hard questions. And please make sure to let the cat out before you go to bed. Bye-bye. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Eve Sturgis and Kaylin Egan and edited by Joy Rumel. Logo designed by Ivy McNally and music is used with permission from Goodbye the Band. Eve is a licensed psychotherapist, but her podcast episodes are not therapy sessions. Mm-hmm.